Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. So I don't know what you did last night, but I, I watched a little college basketball. I got to admit, not a lot. It didn't really hold my interest. BYU just smoked Nevada. It was 19-9 right out of the gate. Pushed it right up to a double-digit lead in the opening 10 minutes of the game. Never really let them up off the floor. 52-26, to 26, they were doubling them up with 15 minutes left and a half, and it was basically garbage time from there. I mean, it looked like it was over at halftime, but you wondered if Nevada could come out and get a little something going. Do you remember how many times the last three or four years we talked about BYU defending and how you just can't give up 80 points and expect to win? And now they are defending at a much better level. I mean, the scores are totally different. And there's a couple things it could be. Um, Obviously, you want to go one to the coaching change. You get a different coaching staff in there. Everybody's trying to impress the new guy. Maybe it's tactical stuff a little bit. um, But maybe it's just a high effort level as everybody's trying to get out there. And also, I don't think you can um, underestimate the fact it's a bunch of seniors. These guys want to win. They want to go to the NCAA tournament. It's been a long, dry spell. could just be that they are a little more desperate. But whatever it is, you just can't deny uh, the fact that BYU looks different at the defensive end of the floor. You know, and maybe it's the proverbial, it's all of those things. Um, but teams are having a real problem breaking 70 points. And when they do, um, you know, they tend to win. Um, they beat UCLA because they held them under 70, 78-63. Uh, they lost to Boise State, 72-68. Um, the Utah game overtime, 102-95, that game got a hand, out of hand. They just locked Nevada up. 75-42 last night, the final score. Uh, Utah State just worked. Uh, St. Catherine, but, you know, that's why you bring in an NAI school. So what? Um, now, the Beehive Classic is coming up, so we got the in-state schools with the doubleheader uh, this weekend. BYU's playing Utah State. Utah to roll Weber State. Uh, Weber's, you know, off to a pretty tough start here. They've had a bunch of good teams in a row, and this year may look a little different, the way things are going here for them early on. Uh, we're going to talk with Craig Smith, the Aggie basketball coach, coming up at uh, 9 o'clock this morning. We will talk college football and get the thoughts on the uh, bowl games coming up from Riley Jensen. Also, some of the stuff he's hearing about recruiting as we close in on the now critical December recruiting date. So we'll talk with uh, Riley. That's at 8 o'clock. Right now, BYU's getting ready for the bowl game. Micah Simon, uh, the veteran, the senior. Getting ready for uh, one last ride with his Cougar teammates. Let's listen in as he talks with the media as BYU gears up to go to Hawaii. Here's Micah Simon with the media on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. What difference does it make now that you know who you're playing? Uh, yeah, I think it makes all the difference, really. Um, I think last week was more just focusing on us. Um, what can we do to, to be better? Um, what areas can we focus on as a, as a team? And then now it's... Yeah, just shift uh, shift the mindset to, to real game prep and hop on the film and uh, see see what we can do. Has this preparation been any different than past bowl game preps so far? Um, I think it's always a little different each year just because of the time of the game. And uh, with this one being a little later, it just gives us a little bit more time to do some things differently and uh, just uh, take advantage of, of, of all our practices. Isaiah said that coaches really stressed the importance of winning this game. Oh, yeah. uh, can you kind of expound on that or agree with that? Or? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's that's that's what it is. It's it's about winning the game and uh, ending the season on the right note. 
using using this as uh, momentum for next season. I mean, I won't be here, but we'll always you know support these guys and and uh, this, it's a it's a huge game for us to 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 end the season on the right note. What's this like for you? Uh, yeah, last game. Um, definitely something that uh, you know a memory I always have and want. Uh, something that yeah, I just you know want to want to go out there one last time with with uh, these teammates of mine and coaches and just put put together a full full game and uh, put put together our best product of the year and uh, just go out on a high note. You got to see the seniors last year kind of do that in the in a bowl game. What did you what do you guys take from that experience and how well you were able to kind of put things together in the bowl game as, and, and try and translate into this year? Yeah, I think uh, last year was the same type of mentality of just winning the game and and sending out the seniors on a good note and and using that momentum for for the off season and that's what we got going on now and what we're doing now and uh, it was it was it was great to see those seniors play as well as they did last year and I you know I just think of like Dylan Colley's game and he you know balled out had a couple touchdowns or over 100 yards things like that and. It's just something that uh, it's a memory he'll always have, and uh, it was a fun game. What do you remember much about, or do you remember much about Hawaii last year and the little bit that you've seen so far? Are they a similar team? Or are they completely different? Or uh, yeah, they're they're um, they're a good team. Um, I know their offense, like they're passing, they're like ranked six, I think, in the nation, and. Their defense is, is much improved, and uh, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to be ready for them and, and hop on this film and, and get a good game plan together. And I know our coaches will will be ready to go. Michael, we're getting to the early signing period as far as the recruiting goes. How important? I know you've been involved as far as helping players see the benefits of BYU. How important is player to player interaction just as far as recruiting goes? And, and what have you seen just as as far as you know, helping guys see you know what they can have if they choose to come to a place like BYU. I think player to player recruiting is one of the the strongest aspects actually of of their whole recruiting process. Um, you can hear everything from the coaches and from what what the school brings in that perspective, but talking to a player and understanding their everyday life and what they go through is. I think one of the one of the strongest things, and that's why I think uh, when the players come out here and their families come out here, and we have player panels with just you know the players and their families, or um, when we just hang out with the recruits on the weekends or whatever, it just creates a a way better. I think uh, they just have a way better understanding of what of what BYU is all about and how they can thrive here. Just about everybody has ups and downs as they grow through a college career. You've experienced that personally. How important is it to be honest with those guys and, and not just you know be a salesman and selling all the good things, but also expressing that there are challenges that they're going to have to deal with? Just that's part of. It. Yeah, no doubt. I think that's something that can get caught up that you can get caught up in of just trying to sell as this is the perfect place and that everything will go your way and everything will be as you want it to, but. You know, it's it's life, and it's not going to happen that way. So, I think yeah, you just have to be honest about everything, and whatever questions they have, you just got to answer truthfully because 
I think, you know, at, at, the, at the end of the day, you, you want BYU to succeed, and you obviously want those players here uh, if they're going to help your program. But at the same day, you know, they're, if they're not the right fit here, if, they're not, if they feel like they're not going to fit here, then it's, it's not fair to, to let them think that this is the place for them because they're, they're young men and, and great athletes as well, and they, they, can, uh, they, they deserve to thrive wherever they, wherever they choose to go. I know you're tight with Tyson on Twitter. He's been kind of cryptic a little bit about his future. Can you <laughs> shed any light on is he going to try to come back or? It's not my. I don't know. You know he. Okay. Yeah. He, <laughs> uh, as cryptic as you. It's just, yeah. I, I will be sitting in the living room. And he'll tweet something, and I I look at it, and I just look at him, and I don't even say anything because I just don't know what he's talking about either. So I'll let him. Uh, I'll let him answer those questions if, if he ever has media time. <laughs> Are you going to try to come back for another year like him? Hey, you know, if they want, if they want me around for a sixth year, then <laughs> <laughs> no, I think my, my time's up here. They're, Maybe a tougher sell, right? Yeah, they're, they're, sick, they're sick of me. <laughs> there is BYU wide receiver Micah Simon. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're talking Pac-12 football with Pac-12 analysts and Oakland Raider analysts, soon to be Vegas Raiders. I really think that would just drop the whole Oakland, Vegas, not have a city. That would just be the Raiders. That's it. They're, they're the Raiders. They wear the silver and black. they got the pirate on the helmet. It doesn't matter if they're in Oakland or L.A. or Oakland or Vegas. They're bouncing all over the place. That hardly matters anymore. They're the Raiders. They wear the silver and black. Anyway, we'll talk college football with uh, the Raider analyst and the Pac-12 Network analyst, Lincoln Kennedy. That is coming up next. Stay with us. All right, it is time now to talk college football with Lincoln Kennedy, Pac-12 Network Analyst. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Get a Samsung S10 for $0 when you activate a new line of service with the Flex Lease now through December 26th. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Lincoln, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you today? We're doing well. It is, uh, it is taking, a, it's taking a few days, and honestly, it's going to take longer than that for the sting sure. for Ute fans because the hopes were so high and the beating was so complete. Got any theories on how that possibly unfolded like that and could go so wrong so fast? You know, I remember the night before the game talking with a couple of ESPN folks, and they were asking me, you know, what I honestly felt about the game. And I, and I sincerely felt that Utah was going to be more physical than Oregon, um, that they had been building up for this, and this was truly their day to shine. Uh, and then the game started. And right from the get- get-go, even though Utah was able to move the ball down the field, looked pretty. I, I thought you know, my-, my plan was going to you know, stay true. And then the tie turned, and it turned in such a big way. And I think when I first noticed it is when Utah, the first time they went for it on fourth down, and they didn't get it. I mean, got no push at all. And I had never known Oregon to be a physical team, but, you know, the words out of the Pacific Northwest concerning Crystal Ball's program was that they wanted to be deemed more physical than they had before. And we've seen signs of it throughout the year, but for the most part, I still thought Oregon was still a lot more fluff. But as the game went on, my, my mouth continued to drop because I had never seen Utah dominated like that. 
and and dominated completely on both sides of the ball. Couldn't do anything, even from block punt. I mean, just they were just outmanned, out hustled, outshined in every way. And and I never pictured that that would happen, guys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm sitting up in the press box, and I've been to every Utah game and covered them. I'm thinking the exact same thing, man. The, I can't really trace it back to – I can trace it back to how they lost. They got dominated. But in terms of right. why, it's a surprise because the only thing I could think of is that, you know, they just had a real off game and it snowballed and it got out of control because you look at, well, ASU beat Oregon and the Utes just dominated ASU. I mean, they had like four of 18. They did nothing offensively. They were completely and totally dominated. And then we didn't see what we thought we were going to see. So – I, I can't necessarily say beyond the one night that Oregon is that much better, but really that's all that matters. And I, I guess, Lincoln, I just have to chalk it up to it was just one of those nights for the Utes. Yeah, I mean, look, we've seen Utah in the past fall apart earlier in the year and you know, lose to a team they probably should have dominated, but I don't think we've seen it in that fashion. And, you know, Give, give, you know, take your hat off to the Oregon Ducks. I mean, they they came out and they played hard. And they definitely deserved, you know, with the the Rose Bowl on the line. They played like they wanted it more. They showed up. Um, it, it is what it is, but it's also a lesson to be learned because the thing is, is that programs will see you don't really have that many opportunities. It's not all the time that you have an opportunity. Now you put yourself on the forefront of being considered one of the best in a, in a very competitive conference, you've got to show up, and you've got to show up every week. It's so so disheartening that you go that far with so much on the line, the opportunity to play some more football games and probably chase a national title, that you just don't have – you have one of your worst performances that I've seen all year. You know, when I look at Oregon and, and went back and looked at some of their uh, results leading up to this, and I knew they hadn't played that well since the USC game, and I looked before it too, and like, they barely got past Washington and Washington State. Those games were close. They gave up a lot of points in both games, and obviously they did not right. give up a lot of points to the Utes. So it's like this is a team that had summoned an effort like this once in their last six games because they, they were spectacular against SC. That was uh, I mean, they just crushed those guys. And they summon that kind of performance again. I, I don't really trust teams when you want them to peak at the right time. Well, you haven't played great, but play great now. And yet it seems like Oregon has mastered that. Yeah, you, you got a platform in which everybody's watching. And, you know, you have your critics. So, you know, this team was, you know, yeah, they lost to Auburn. They were on their way to the playoff possibly. And then they lose one to Arizona State. And then who's Arizona State and all the other stuff. But, again, we go back to the competitiveness of this of this conference, that anyone can beat anyone on any given day. And then on, on, a, on a national spotlight, that being Friday night, the Pac-12 championship is on. And they come out and show why they should be considered one of the top teams. Um, why, if there was, if there was, you know, more t- more slots added to the playoff bid, how they would deserve to be a part of that, and I think that's good because I do think conference championships are worth something, guys. I've already said that. Always said that uh, conference championships are worth something, and if they had more slots available, Oregon would be representing the Pac-12 in the conference cha- as a conference champion in the playoffs. Yeah, how frustrating is that? As a fan, we like big games, and in my mind. The system, as it's presently constituted, discourages big games because you look at yeah. Baylor and they played Stephen F. Austin and Rice and some other dog, and they're considered to be a contender until Oklahoma gets them twice at the end of the season. Well, if Oregon doesn't play 
Auburn, and then they play Chico State or whomever. They're in right in the mix and pro- and maybe even in, but yet they choose to play a big name team and they lose by a touchdown and then they lose by three points in one conference loss and they're out. To me, it just boils down to the system needs tweaking, if not complete and total change, so we can have more competitive games and you're not penalized if you play a big game and lose it early in the season. I think the system needs a major overhaul. I think Power 5, Power 6 schools should only play Power 6 schools. I think that there should be more slots allowed for the playoffs. I I thoroughly believe that conference championships should be valued in the sense of chasing a national title because I think that's what matters. If we're putting all these teams and all these schools in a conference and in, 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 in conferences around the country, then let winning a championship really matter and mean something to them. So, I mean, I think there's a major overhaul that's, that's needed uh, with the college football. And it's also really frustrating around this time because, look, you know, I was watching the TV this morning. I'm over in New York getting ready for the college football awards. And one of the questions that was asked one of the guys is that, hey, if you were a top five projected as a top five draft choice, would you choose to play in your bowl game if it wasn't a national championship? And a couple of the former players said, no, I wouldn't play. And it really hurts my feelings because football is a team game. And I don't care who you are. If you're a, a Heisman Trophy candidate, I don't care if you're you know, a top running back or whatever. You didn't get there by yourself. Now all of a sudden your team is going to a bowl game, and no, it's not the national championship, but say it's something like the Rose Bowl or the Orange Bowl or something like that, and you don't want to play, I think it's incredibly selfish as a player. And I, and I might be part of the, the, the minority of this. People sitting there, well, you know, the NFL doesn't care about it. You know, what about going on? You know, look, you got there on, with the help of your teammates, and now you're going to leave them because you, you're looking for, you know, greener pastures on the other side. It's one of the things that I can't stand around this time of year because you hear about stars that won't play in the bowl games because they want to protect their draft status. Well, and then they go out there and they go through a workout and they tear up their knees. So what happens then? So I'm sorry, I went on a little bit of a rant. I got a little bit carried away. But I think college football needs a major overhaul is the question, is the answer. So what do you think, Lincoln, of guys sitting out bowl games? (laughs) Don't like it. (laughs) Never liked it. So... You're old school, Lincoln. You're old school, right there. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, look, you got to. You, you can't. You know, the thing is, you guys play sports. If you play scared or you play that you're going to get hurt, you're going to get hurt. Your body has done stuff that you probably wouldn't believe, or if they slowed it down and showed it to you, you couldn't imagine that you were able to do. And now all of a sudden, you're sitting there like, well. It's one game. Why do I need to go out there and risk injury when you know I can be looking forward to the to the NFL? You can get to the NFL and not make it in as well and be and be a washout. Then where's your experiences and your memories go? Lincoln Kennedy, Pac-12 Network analyst, join us here on ninety-seven five and twelve eighty the zone. So Lincoln, your school <laughs> bombshell announcement: Chris Peterson is stepping away. Uh, did you have any inkling of that as an alum? Did you get wired in, or is that just a complete shocker to you too? thought it was more probably knew it was coming, but thought it was a year away or so. And the reason why is I talked to a number of people that were around the program when they were in Los Angeles last year for the Rose Bowl, and they had said to me that they thought Coach Pete just didn't look happy. Then when I had the chance to talk to some people after it was all said and done, they reiterated that. And I was like, how can you not be happy at the Grand Daddy Mall? He's like, just the way of college sports has gone, it's taken its toll. And so it had worn him down. So, you know, yes, yeah, surprise of the timing. Like I said, I thought it was more of a year away, but totally be expected. The man gave you know a great portion of his life, and he just wants to enjoy the rest of it. I, I have no problem with that. 
from a social standpoint now, the Pac-12 has, I think, five African-American coaches, which is mm-hmm. more than all the other Power Five conferences combined. Obviously, you're an African-American. What does that mean? I think it's probably a sign of the times where you're catching up and where I think – regardless of the color or the nationality ethnicity you know a, a smart football mind deserves a chance to to prove his his even her worth i think there will be eventually we'll see college football uh being coached by a woman uh and uh, just like his college basketball and so on and so forth so um you know the value of having a a good mind doesn't have to be you know narrowed down to uh, sex or ethnicity. It's just you find somebody, give them a chance. If they make it work, it's good for the program. So do you think that this is going to lead, that everything we've seen unfold this season? I mean, recruiting happens. It's the lifeblood of every program. There's a lot of things that go into it. We know that the SEC schools are coming to the West Coast. Yep. Do you think some of these new coaches are going to make? Head Washington gets a new coach now. Cristobal seems to be polishing his reputation. He's not new. He's been there for a couple of times. Do they? Does this change the way recruiting goes? Or Clay Helton's there, and yes, he gets to stay for another year. But we're seeing he's not getting four and five star recruits, and the conference is going to take another hit in recruiting. Well, I think the conference is going to take a hit until it makes itself relevant. SC has to be relevant or in the conversation in order for a national standard for anybody to regard the Pac-12 as anything credible. Um, and, and, and look, it, it, the way the Pac-12 has scheduled its games, a lot of the teams, they're, they're going out and they're playing, you know, they're playing top-tier talent. you got to win those games. Once you do that, you put yourself on the map. Like, let's say, Oregon and Auburn. You know, when you have those types of games, you put yourself on the map if you're able to win. If not, it comes back to haunt you. Um, I, I think you're, you're heading for that. But the thing is, is that, you know, you've got schools in the SEC that walk into people's houses and say, your kid will be in the National Football League in three years. I don't know if you can compete with that. Conversely, Herm Edwards down in Arizona State, he walks in the house and he said, your kid will have a degree in three and a half years. That's powerful too. Especially it resonates a lot more to parents than it does the immediate kids because we all know the possibility of everybody going on to the National Football League is not going to happen. The small percentage of them do. But, you know, there are people that are sitting in line at places like Alabama and LSU, five stars, three, four, you know, deep, sitting in there on, on rosters waiting for their chance to get to play because they think they're going to, it's going to project them to the National Football the next level. At the same point, they go to other schools, they'll be a premier athlete, they'll, and they'll be playing like in Oregon, different uniforms every game. Uh, you can showcase yourself, your, your talents that way. Reaction to SC retaining Helton? A little bit of a surprise, but the only reason I'm surprised is because we talked about this all year, guys. I said that they were going to make a move for Urban Meyer. And I still think that they're, you know, in, in a ways, not, not necessarily right now, they want to have their coach because recruiting starts now. With the, the rumors surrounding Urban Meyer and, say, the Cowboys or other programs, SC probably just didn't feel that they could compete or want to compete with it, the price tag it might take to get them. So they decided to, to stay with their guy, give him another year, give him another chance to do, to sort of, you know, revive the program. More importantly, give him a chance to get out there and recruit rather than leaving in limbo the possibility of his future. So I'm not really surprised. So you think SC's set up to win it next year? You like ASU? Utah's obviously won it two years in a row and is losing a bunch of seniors, and nobody in a Pac-12 has won a division three years in a row since they went to divisions. Yeah. The thing is for me, guys, is I really don't, I can't project who's going to do anything until we see him play. So that's the great thing about the conference like this, and especially college football. You have to constantly reload. Um, I think the, any of those teams that you mentioned could be a, a viable threat because if they stay true to who they are, 
you know what, A-State's going to be better. SC's going to find a rebound. They were just decimated by injuries. Uh, and an experienced quarterback, well, they have that coming back next year. And like you said, Utah has done it before. They have a, they have a model. Even when, you know, uh, Zach Moss and, and Huntley were down, they still were able to play a competitive game in the Pac-12 championship. So I don't know who put this out, but there was a picture I saw on Twitter of all the media folk from the Pac-12, and I was showing my wife, and she's got to learn a little bit about Lincoln Kennedy because oh I, t- I took her up on the Washington <laughs> trip, and I said, you know, we have him on our show. I said, there's the banner outside the stadium. Uh-huh. And then she saw this picture. So there was all these people that were a little bit on the small side, and there was one guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you saw the picture. But I haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> but there was one guy I said to her, now guess which guy played the line in the NFL and is Lincoln Kennedy in this picture? I mean, you you look like just the ultimate giant with all these little folks standing around you. It was a funny picture. I don't know if you even saw it, but that's who you are in the world of football for sure. Well, thank you. You know what? I, I really want to give you guys a, a, a great shout out. You know, I was in the, I was staying at the team hotel and in and, and Santa Clara with the Pac-12 championship. And there were countless people who came up and said that they've heard us on the radio together. So a lot of fans uh, follow you, you guys, and what you guys do is a great job. And I appreciate being with you. And uh, I wish all your listeners and everybody happy holidays. It's a great program in Utah, and it's a great fan base. And I was extremely proud to be there the, the other night. Thanks a lot, Lincoln. We appreciate it. We've appreciated it all season long. Hey, guys. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. Happy holidays. DJ and PK, a little football talk with Lincoln Kennedy, Raider and Pac-12 Network analyst. Coming up next, the Utes. Morgan Scally's got a contract that has been amended. Uh, the Utes have a four-star quarterback coming in. They've also got a bowl game coming up with Texas. Kurt Cragthorpe, Salt Lake Tribune, covering the Utes. He is coming up next on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. DJ, PK, and it's time to talk University of Utah football now with Kurt Cragford. Salt Lake Tribune, beat writer covering Utah football. There are multiple stories in the news. Morgan Scally's got an amendment. Utes are getting a transfer quarterback from South Carolina, according to said quarterback. And they got a bowl game against Texas to get ready for. Kurt, good morning. Morning. Kurt, as you speak to the Utes, how long is that Oregon loss going to drag them down, and is it going to impact them when they play Texas in the bowl game, or are they going to shake it off a little bit? I think the players will respond a lot better than the fan base will. Uh, but it is the variable about that game that helps make it interesting. I mean, uh, Utah's always been the more motivated team in a bowl game, it seems like, and, and this year there's a question about that. Yeah, I actually think this year they should have more motivation than last year because I think last year they were happy to be there. They weren't the favorite. They weren't really having a you know a great great season at six and three. That's probably about as low as you can be and still win the division. Whereas this year, you know, they were fifth in the playoff, and then the way they got spanked and beat up for a team that is so physical and usually owns the insides on both sides of the ball to not have that to me. That provides all sorts of motivation to get that last win. You can't wash it out completely, but maybe a little bit as far as 
getting that sting out and the taste and finding a way to go, what would they be, uh, 11, 12, and 2? That's a pretty good season. As logical as that is, no loser of the Pac-12 championship game has ever won its bowl game. So you would think that all these teams would have that exact same mindset and say, God, we got to feel better about ourselves going into the offseason. We really need to win this game. But those teams are 0-8. So that's an interesting stat to me. Uh, that is an interesting stat. You made me sit up straight and listen to that. And I wonder, uh, does Kyle Winningham know that stat? Have you spoken with him about that? He does know about it because people brought it up last year when the Pac-12 was 0-7 going into the <laughs> Holiday Bowl. <laughs> he made it 0-8. Having said that, they did lead that game 20-3 to at halftime, so motivation was not the issue. Yeah, plus this, this time around, they're not playing a team that was in the conference final. They're playing a 7-5 and team. Yeah, and I, I, that's a fact. There's, there's no getting around that. If, if Texas doesn't play LSU, they're 8-4. and four. If they, they win a couple of games they could or should have in the Big 12, they're, they're higher. So, But yeah, so... But the, uh, it is what it is. They, they lost five games, and that's the first time I've ever said the phrase, it is what it is, and I'm <laughs> highly embarrassed. No, don't please, be. Please. It's groundbreaking. Is it, too, is it too late for Adrian to dump that? No, because I no. do not want to be associated <laughs> with that phrase. Too late. I'm better than that. <laughs> I'm better than that. <laughs> but you know Irregardless. <laughs> that every time, the one thing the Utes have proven is that they can beat a seven and five team this year? If you're seven and five, they beat you because they have four wins over a seven and five team. And I mentioned this on TV on Sunday, and I got a tweet that said that seven and five comment on Talking Sports was a cheap shot, way out of line. You're going to talk about our mom in parentheses or quotes when Ute fans are mourning. No longer your fan. I lost a fan because of that, Kurt. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> Good one. You, you still got me, though. That's <laughs> important. Babe. What happens when the line between fact and cheap shot is so blurred you can't really tell? That's kind of what this, it's a fact. this is all about, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, people don't like the facts they like. They got Twitter. They I actually nuts. tweeted back at him and said thank you. Oh, well, that helped. (laughs) It reminded me, I saw Dan Rather was doing the big interview with uh, Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin, obviously, and uh, Rather says, now your band in the 60s was known as the most outrageous, the king of, of debauchery, the people who went over the line the most. And Robert Plant said, Thank you. You're very kind. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now the Utes look forward. Morgan Scally, a contract amendment. Now, you can't say it is what it is to that because I don't think I've heard of a contract amendment. I've heard of coaching and waiting, and I've heard of extension. Uh, I've heard of a renegotiation. A contract amendment, that's a different beast right there. What do you make of it? Yeah, I'm very eager to get the uh, copy of the contract itself before I guess too much about it. But I can say already that the significance is that they've never made an announcement about an assistant coach on track situation in any sport at the University of Utah until yesterday. Well, clearly they're trying to send some message. Now, is there some reading between the lines in that message? I don't know. I'm I'm eager to 
get the actual document and find out. But clearly, it's a, a move that has a couple of things in mind. One is, just as the language of the press release said, the long-term future of Morgan Scalley at the University of Utah. And as DK noted in the previous segment, there is a signing date next Wednesday. And uh, Woody Hammond and Scally were at the house of Van Fillinger, the defensive end from Corner Canyon on Sunday. So the timing to me is meaningful for sure right now and going forward. Yeah, I think to me the bigger message here is Harlan is saying we're not going to be undersold. And if we need to spend the money to do this, this, and this, you know, we're going to improve the south uh, end zone and all that stuff. Particularly, I think an overlooked portion of that is the locker rooms as opposed to the the fans' access to it. So we're going to spend the money. I know the Garfs have ponied up some money there. And then here, Scally's getting some run because I think you had it as far as a Vegas job. So we're going to keep him, and it means uh, throwing some more money at him, extending the contract, what the amendment they're phrasing it, and you'll get the – contract because it needs to be public record and you have access to it. I think the bigger message is we're going to spend what it takes to be successful. Yeah, I think that's true. I think number one, it's, it, it starts with Andy Ludwig coming in January, getting $820,000 when they were playing Roy Taylor 525 last year. So they bumped Morgan up from 525 to 820. Now whatever they're doing with him now. So look, look, they're already those are two of the top five paid assistant coaches at public schools in the Pac-12. And and uh, based on the head coaching salaries, uh, USC is probably not playing any more than that. So, yeah, clearly Mark Harlan is a invest-in-people guy. I think that's, that's the one thing you can say about his 18-month tenure so far is that he, he is making steps to invest in his staff. Okay. Uh, not only people in his direct administration, but trickling down through those, the athletic programs themselves, and that definitely is happening. There's a, I believe there's a path to winning at Utah. I also believe it's a very specific path that you can't deviate off of too much. I, I said this um, a while ago that the basketball program under Majerus, he tried to recruit some Midwest kids and they found it wasn't working and he focused on getting kids in state and kids mostly from LA but certainly from the West Coast. He thought they transitioned and fit in Utah better. Obviously with return missionaries, a mix of kids from California, Texas, kids who go on missions, kids who don't, uh, tapping into the Polynesian community and getting a string of excellent defensive linemen. There's a recipe at Utah. How important do you think it is, whether it's Morgan or somebody else from Kyle's coaching tree, that they they hold on to that, as opposed to what they did in basketball where Majerus didn't have a coaching tree, and we've had three guys with three different philosophies, none that were Majerus's, and none who won at anything close to that level. Yeah, I think that's a good observation. Clearly there is a blueprint for Utah to succeed. Now people are disappointed that, there seemed to be a ceiling that happened Friday night. But the fact is, they got ten guys that are going to be drafted in April, so they're they're doing something right, in both in recruiting and player development. And so, whatever that formula is, it absolutely makes sense to continue it for as long as they can. So, this transfer quarterback, more of the same as far as you know, the more the merrier, and have some competition. You think he's a leader? He might be the guy. I mean, he started 33 games for an SEC program. I mean, this one came out of the blue. I had no idea until 
four o'clock yesterday that something like this could happen. And and I had my mind programmed to Rising versus Shelley next spring. But here's here's a, a guy that comes in with better credentials. And uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how Jake Bentley works out. But he he obviously is a Power Five starting quarterback. So here we go. Uh, 55 touchdowns versus 32 interceptions. The 7,000 yards, as you said, points out a lot of experience. How much do you trust Andy Ludwig to bump him up a tier or two? You know, whatever he can do, plus, you know, 10 or 20% that Andy can bring him along. Yeah, I, 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 I do have confidence. I think the uh, Tyler Huntley example speaks well to Andy's ability to maximize a guy. And, and as we've all learned over the year it's an offense that demands a lot of the quarterback and, he, and obviously Hanley hasn't played in this exact system but he certainly looks like a, a Andy Ludwig kind of quarterback just uh, to be an efficient passer I think Andy can make him more so increase the completion percentage and be a drop back guy and, and get the ball out and yeah it certainly seems like the guy they can plug and play. One of the things you said about Tyler Huntley, and obviously Andy has done marvelous work with him this past season, that's just a fact, but I also think that Huntley being a senior and having a year and a half, and I know he missed basically the half of uh, last season, but two years ago, you know, he was a sophomore. They struggled, is seven and six. He went through some struggling, and he got to the point where he got better through playing experience. So my point here where I'm going with this is, you know, we've seen other programs do this play and plug. Obviously, Oklahoma is the leader, but the talent around them is so awesome. I wonder if, in the long term, it's in the best interest for the Utes to go down this road. You get this kid, Bentley, will come in next year, and let's assume he does play and play well. Well, it's a one-year deal, then where are you the following year? Do you go down that road? Because it seems like once you go down that road, you're not going to have an experienced quarterback. He's not going to be able to grow, whereas if they went with rising, you know, the, the two years from now, he could get better because you take a look at what Oregon did, and for a while there, they were dipping into the big sky to get guys in, and it may have been a little bit of a short-term fix, and then I think it caught up with them, and they ended up being in a situation where Helfridge gets fired. So do you think that long-term this is the best way for Utah to go? Yeah, that's a good question. But keep keep in mind that, that Helfrich got fired after Justin Herbert's freshman year, so they were trying to do what you you said to some extent and, and get some continuity. And Crystal Ball benefited from it, obviously. But, but I, I think your your argument is sound. The only response I would have, just to be different, would be to say they're not going to have the 2019 defense next year. They're going to have to get every bit of offensive production yeah. they can to to have a decent year. And if if that means having a a one year quarterback fix, that that might be just enough to win you an extra game or two and and kind of keep the program on a good trajectory. 
Well, I assume that Kyle weighs all this when he picks a starting quarterback. You know, if you're going to be there for one year, you got to be able to produce big time. And I think that's what we saw three years ago. Kyle has now talked at his press conferences about seeing that the possibility for this year was coming a couple years ago. Well, he picked a sophomore over a senior. Troy Williams, I think, would have been the better quarterback for that team. But it was clear he was taking a multi-year approach. So I assume he'll be weighing the same factors here. And... You need more than one quarterback. I don't, you know, they haven't said publicly what do they think of Shelley? Do they want him to be the backup if there were an injury? Would they want him to be the starter? You know, is this a case of more depth so that you're better at number two, even if the senior isn't the guy now? Yeah, those, those are all great points. And that's, that's what makes it uh, another fun off season already that uh, this is the kind of thing we'll be talking about from now till September 3rd versus BYU. So I don't know this, but my guess is you will be covering Weber State Friday. I haven't got that confirmed, but I'm a little uh, thrown off by the 8 o'clock start on December 13th. But uh, <laughs> if, if they uh, give me a chance to be there, I'll do it for sure. I mean, who else would I it be? I do have Montana history in my life, so that, that, that's, that's coming into play as well. Deep-rooted Montana. When I think... Of Montana, I, I think of either Joe or Kurt Craigthorpe. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe Larry Kristoviak. Who knows? What about Stu Morrill? <laughs> oh, what about exactly. uh, what's the dude, the Stanford coach, Mike Montgomery? I <laughs> <laughs> wasn't going to help you if you're going to one up me. You got to do it on your own. Where does it end? Oh man! Hey, one last thing before you let you go. We were uh, talking. Um, about Oregon and scheduling and the fact that, you know, one conference champ is going to get left out. And Oregon takes that Auburn game, loses it, and that's the difference possibly, probably, between them being in the playoffs or not. So is the Pac-12 doing the right thing scheduling up because USC's playing Bama and Notre Dame next year. Stanford's obviously playing Notre Dame. Uh, Ohio State is playing Oregon. Michigan's playing Washington. TCU, Texas Tech, Texas A&M are all on Pac-12 schedules next year. Is the league playing it right here? That's an interesting question, and it's part of all the what-ifs that come into play about Utah's postseason destination. Like To your point, what if... Oregon had not played Auburn, they would be in the playoff and Utah would be in the Rose Bowl. But to me, I'd, I'd rather not try to game the system. I'd rather play these games that people are interested in and are going to be talking about. I, I mean, I can still replay that Oregon-Auburn game in my mind because it was a great game and a high-profile game that a lot of people watched on that Saturday afternoon in August. So I, in no way would I discourage teams from trying to do that, even though it worked against the Pac-12 this year. Right, because I am looking forward to 2029. The Devils go at LSU on September 8th. That would be awesome. <laughs> Tiger Stadium on a Saturday night. Right. Here we come. 2029, baby. <laughs> I, I plan to still be alive. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> Kurt, I think on that note, before we get PK contemplating anybody's death, we better let you go. Okay, then. All Thank right. You. Hey, remember, Kurt, no matter what, it is what it is. <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to regret that the rest of my life. Thank you, Kurt.
There's Kurt Crackthorpe from the Salt Lake Tribune. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. And Riley Jensen will be talking football at 8 o'clock. Utah State basketball coach Craig Smith at 9 o'clock. Stay with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.